Money, as they say, is the root of all evil. This saying is especially poignant now, as central banking institutions and the fractional reserve system are wreaking havoc on the global economy. Bitcoin as an alternative to the fiat system might be a legitimate escape hatch. In this podcast, I sit down with brilliant individuals who think critically about the world and who recognize this technology's possible implications. All right, so welcome back to the Bitcoin versus the Banks podcast. And I'm joined here by a fellow podcaster by the name of Trey Walsh. Trey, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, just I want to remind people, if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. And if you're an audio listener, please follow along and uh, maybe check out some of the latest episodes. There's been some good ones. So first question, actually, before I get to any questions, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Yeah, I'm uh, Trey, uh, Trey Walsh. Um, you know, I, I run the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast and have been a little bit more active, I'd say, in the Bitcoin community the past couple of years, trying to um, bring more kind of diverse thought and perspective in from a left progressive viewpoint, while at the same time trying to talk to folks on the left and progressives that, you know, Bitcoin isn't here to destroy the planet, boil the oceans, uh, things like that, and try to spread the word a little bit, a little bit more. So, um, and my background, I, you know, work in nonprofits, spent a lot of my um, day job experience and, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yeah, very cool. I, I feel like we need more of that sort of perspective. I know Jason Myers come out with that book recently, the progressive case for Bitcoin. Uh, I'm sure it very much falls in line with the kind of work you do. Um, and yeah, you know, Peter McCormick sort of touches on this. Like we, we need to hear from everybody. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum, uh, political spectrum you're on. Um, you know, people have different views and opinions. Um, but at the end of the day, us Bitcoiners, we all have the same mission. So it's it's sort of hearing from one another, having these nuanced discussions and and honestly learning from one, uh, one another. And in fact, that's, that's why I chose to have you on. You know, I, I think people, when they hear a podcast, they wonder like, why would you have another podcaster on here? But for me, it's having that opportunity to to have an open discussion, to learn from another. Um, you know, that's that's how we grow. The whole point of this show is to give people insight into Bitcoin, um, to keep it sort of easy, digestible. Um, and I don't have any particular focus. We sort of will deal with mining, we'll deal with uh, politics, whatever the issue happens to be at the time. Um, so you'll notice, like my questions are pretty sort of generic or broad for you. Uh, but my first question to you is like, how did you get into podcasting or, or what sort of drove you into it? Yeah, um, I, I kind of probably mentioned the story in bits and pieces before to people kind of offline and in, in more public settings. But um, basically, you know, as I was getting more and more into, into Bitcoin, trying to get some of my thought and perspectives out there, doing a bit of writing, connecting with people who I really valued in the space, um, you know, I also started to listen to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, which was started back in late 2021, I believe, um, with Mark Stefani and several others were involved uh, with with getting this this podcast up and running as well. But Mark Stefani was the host. And in December of 2022, he and Tom Maxwell, who had been producing the podcast, took a step back um, and kind of announced, OK, we're going to do this last episode, taking a step back. So. You know, I had waited maybe a couple of months and reached back out to Mark um, and connected with Mark a few times previously and reached out to him and just said, hey, you know, how, um, you know, is the podcast going to come back? Any thoughts about that? We'd love to support in any way. Um, 
not knowing it would lead to me hosting it, but him and I met and he was like, oh, do you want to host the podcast? Um, you know, and initially I was like, oh, this is cool. Let's, you know, let, let's talk about this because um, it was kind of a shift for me in terms of I wanted to be more involved in the space, was really eager to and really saw a huge opportunity, especially to appeal to more left-leaning audience because of the amount of, of FUD against it, um, the amount of what I thought was diversity needed in the space. So that's really how it came about. So him and I kind of worked together for a couple of months, figuring out how we would transition this. Talked with Jason Mayer a lot as well, knowing that he had put out his book. So how do we kind of join forces a bit, a uh, bit of yin and yang with his book and, you know, his, his sabbatical and wanting to spread the word there. You know, how can we do that same thing through the podcast? And then it led to the relaunch of the podcast. Um, and, you know, kind of trying to come out swinging with, you know, we updated the logo, um, trying to reach a wider audience, um, adding like YouTube, just doing little things here and there um, and trying to continue the great work that Mark had been doing, just having amazing conversations and trying to elevate those conversations um, and really feeling a lot of conviction about, you know, the FUD from the left isn't going to stop uh, as we're seeing, at least at the time of recording, Greenpeace has done another stunt uh, in Manhattan in terms of talking about now tying in big banks to Bitcoin as if that has any influence on the protocol or mining or anything like that, right? And that's a whole other thing we can talk about. So for me, you know, seeing this political cycle coming up, all of this, I'm like, I feel like it's something that's really needed in this space. And, you know, I do want to make my intentions clear as well. Like I am a, a lifelong progressive from the left, uh, but also a really proud Bitcoiner. And like you said, we all kind of have this common understanding once you go down the rabbit hole that there's a there's a problem here. Like the money is not good. Our global financial system is really messed up. Um, it's really not fair for those that are vulnerable, for uh, developing nations, all of these things that are really important to the left. So, you know, I'm here to spread that message as much as possible. And while I'm personally progressive, what I also saw was a lot of the media content, writings, things like that in Bitcoin the past four or five years has really been dominated by, in the U.S. at least, uh, right-leaning voices, um, those that are conflating, conflating some right leaning um, beliefs, cultural beliefs, Judeo-Christian roots, things like that, which are fine with Bitcoin, right? And so some people um, might get turned off from that. Some people might think, oh, if that's Bitcoin, I'm not a part of that. I would be saying the same thing if Bitcoin were dominated by left voices, right? It just, that's just not the way it's been the past few years. So really just coming in and trying to, to give people content um, in, in ways they can digest. And Jason Mayer talks about this a lot as well, his book. It's like, you have to speak people's language. It doesn't mean that I'm advocating for a protocol change. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, I'm here to, to bash people on the right or anything like that either. It's it's here to open up that message to Bitcoin to try to appeal to people on the left so that then I can make the message clear to them. Bitcoin is not political in that sense, right? Like we can argue it's political in the sense that it's not government money. It's a, it's a parallel system um, for humanity but it's not political in that you have to vote for Ted Cruz or you have to be a Republican or you have to eat meat or whatever conception that people have of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit of how I got into the podcast and why I'm so so passionate about continuing to do this. Very cool. Yeah, it's funny how it's be becoming or it becomes every now and then this politicized thing, even though, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's a technology. It's just this distributed ledger. It's nothing else than that. Um, here in Canada, I wouldn't say it's ever really become a political issue, at least not yet. Um, you know, perhaps with the exception of the trucker protest, you know, mm -hmm. at that time we saw people donating uh, money and at some point donating Bitcoin. 
And that did make the headlines to some degree. But beyond that, it's not something you really hear about. So it'll kind of be interesting to see moving forward with like our next election, how much that does become an issue, because certainly in the states, it does seem to be coming up. Um, you've got a number of yeah. you know would be or want to be uh, presidents who seem to have that as part of their platform. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely keeping a close eye on it because we are neighbors and essentially what your country does, we sort of just follow suit, if you will. Yeah, um, and the world, unfortunately, right? You know, the global reserve currency, um, financial institutions, BlackRock, the largest money manager in the world, you know, all of these players are talking a lot about Bitcoin. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, um, you know, if people practice what they preach and, and all of these other things, but fortunately, unfortunately, um, it's kind of how it goes right now. So a lot of people are looking at the US and seeing what, what we'll be up to with, with Bitcoin. Yeah, and I've had people asking me, like, why are some of these countries in the BRICS, like, talking about adopting a gold standard? And it's exactly that. There's this reliance on the United States and the U.S. dollar and treasuries. The whole monetary system, it has, you know, in many ways ruined people's lives. It has decimated countries' economies. And now you have countries like El Salvador that have broken away from that system, looking for an alternative. You know, nobody knows. They don't know if it's going to work, but they're taking a gamble in a situation where, you know, things historically have been pretty bad for them anyways. So why not roll the dice, see what happens. And, you know, if if all of our thesis theses are correct, you know, they have a lot to um, to benefit from. Right. They're going to do well. It, yeah. Obviously, history is going to play out and we'll see how it, how it works out. But, um, you know, I, I think you and I probably see it as a good thing. Right. Um, so again, without doxing yourself, um, what are some local problems that you notice? It could be at a city level, state level, um, major concerns that you have. Um, it, it really could be anything. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, gosh, we could spend a whole you know, episode, a whole book, whatever, talking about this. So you know, a lot of my background professionally um, and kind of what kicked things off a lot uh, it's been my work in nonprofits. So, you know, even here in the US, right? I think there's a lot of global issues that speak very loudly about why and how Bitcoin can help. And a lot of times in the US context, a lot of us are just kind of blind to that, right? Or in a Western context or middle class context or whatever. Um, but, but for me, you know, working in workforce development and, and being in nonprofits my whole career, you know, one of the things I've tried to focus on is, you know, quote unquote, like high need communities, at risk communities, at risk young adults. And all of these people that have not been benefiting from the current system, right? Like they don't, they don't own stocks. They don't own properties. They, they're, they're renting, um, they're renting in high inflation. Uh, but yet year after year, like we're seeing things even now, right? Like record low unemployment, all these cheerleading, right? But then one thing you're also not looking at is those folks that I know that are working three jobs behind the scenes, right? Or working under the table or driving for Uber or doing this instead of taking that unemployment check because also they don't have access to that or they don't have access to a bank account or they can't, they're undocumented, right? Or their legal status is still up in the air, right? All of these different things. But yet, political points wise, we can say the economy is doing well, right? Well, the economy is very different from, from people. So even here in the United States, right? The United States faces massive, massive uh, poverty in many parts of the country, right? Even in some of the most affluent areas, you have people that are really, really, really struggling and getting by, right? 
so one thing that I see, and I'm again, I'm saying this as someone who's on the left, right? Like I, I got really into Bitcoin. It helps me understand some of the ways government works a little bit better, but I would say my values didn't necessarily change. But one thing I'm very concerned about from the left, because it doesn't have to be this way. Like I don't associate progressive and left with, we have to centralize as much as possible. Some might, right? A lot of times people just don't think about it, right? People are like, oh, I'm getting that check from the government. I need that. That's thank you. I need that to eat or something, right? They're not thinking about the second and third order effects of that. But one thing that frustrates me about, you know, the the Democratic Party or especially those on the left, um, there's a host of other frustrations I could talk about from the right, but I'd say from the left is, you know, instead of talking about things like like Bitcoin or talking about individual sovereignty or talking about ways to own property, access property, we're focusing on minimum wage that doesn't support, you know, uh, kind of a mid middle class life at all, just about anywhere um, in the U.S. And we're focusing on okay instead of this, how to, how to gain more property, how to be an entrepreneur, how to equip students to actually be effective and uh, get meaningful work and good wages in the economy, we're focusing on, all right, we're going to make sure that housing is affordable through X, Y, and Z government programs so that you have what you need. We're going to make sure you get this EBI check so that you have what you need, right? It's all centralized reliance rather than, now again, and I think we need some of those programs, right, with where we're at. Um, I think a lot of people don't think enough about, you know, if we went on a Bitcoin standard tomorrow or if these government programs collapsed overnight, millions of people would be drastically affected. So that's not good. But there hasn't, there's not enough people on the left and politicians showing concern for what if we run out of money for this one day? Because that's where we're headed. How are we paying for this in general? That's not working out. Um, and people's lives are being set up to only be supported by that rather than being supported by, hey, let's make sure that you have enough money outside of the government to actually support yourself, to support your family, right? Whatever that looks like, right? So that's that's one of my biggest concerns is um, just seeing that the way our society is setting itself up is for centralized support for a lot of people, right? But again, my core values are in supporting the vulnerable, supporting the immigrant, all of these things, very um, progressive left issues in a lot of ways, but a lot of the government support, A, either isn't working now, or at some point I'm concerned that it will stop working. Then what? Because right now the left is very obsessed with that being the only form of support for a lot of these people. And I'm very concerned about that um, because that's that's not good. <laughs> that that won't last forever. And we don't know when or how that will, that will be affected. So I'd say that's one of my bigger societal things for the US context, right? There's a lot of other people that can talk and people that I'd have on my podcast as well. And then I'm sure you would as well, but talk about other um, global affairs and things like that. But for me, in my experience, it's something I'm very, very concerned about if, if things don't change pretty soon. Well, I must say that, you know, spending a lot of time on Twitter, I see video after video of cities throughout the United States that are just sort of inundated with homeless encampments. And we're starting to see more of that here in Canada as well, whether it's Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver. Um, you know, homelessness is becoming a, a big deal. And, you know, part of that has to do with just skyrocketing home prices. Uh, some of that has to do with the fentanyl crisis. Um, these are issues you're obviously well aware of. Um, and, and I agree the, you know, the solution seems to always be, or, or at least the proposed solution is we'll just throw more money at it. And, you know, over the past couple of years, I think where I've had a bit of a shift is just, just thinking about some of those policies here, hearing people say, okay, we're going to allocate this much money towards such and such program. 
Yeah, the problem is like, again, like you said, where does that money come from? Um, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't just come out of thin air. So if, if we're putting the money aside now, then somebody's gonna be paying for it tomorrow or five or 10 years down the road. And, you know, increasingly I find myself thinking not, not so much how is, you know, putting money towards the cause going to affect me, but how's it gonna affect my children? Um, mm -hmm. We, you know, in Canada, we have universal healthcare, but that doesn't account for dental work. So one of the, you know, proposals is uh, by the NDP party has been, how can we make it so that even dental care is uh, universally care, uh, paid for? Of course, that's got to be paid for by taxpayer money, but that's only going to get you so far. So where else is this going to, this money going to come from? Is it money mm -hmm. printing? That would be my, you know, assumption. And then again, that leads to a slew of problems. We're, we're already dealing with inflation. That just means inflation gets worse. So it just, it's sort of one problem that cascades into another. So I don't have all the yeah. answers. That's why I hope to get some politicians on here to, to hopefully get some real insight because what we end up with during all these uh, presidential campaigns and things like that are, uh, I hate to say it, but false promises. And mm -hmm. you'd like to hear a campaign where somebody says they're going to do something, but actually can give you kind of a play-by-play -play as to this is step one, this is step two. Um, they might not necessarily make it work because it's not a unilateral government. But the point is you want an actual proposal with those steps so that people can really know what they're getting themselves into. Because um, I think for the people that do go out there and vote, um, they go in there thinking they know what the outcome will be but in a way they're going in kind of blind because they don't really know yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Sorry, that went off yeah. on a bit of a tangent. No, 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 this is, this is great because I also want to add, like, I, I think, and I, I've seen a bit of how this system works a little bit. And again, I've, I've said on my podcast too, I'm here in Massachusetts and I've seen some of the, the federal in the U.S., the, the federal grants and streams of funding, the state grants and streams of funding. And so there are smart ways to do taxation, right? So it's like, you know, I'm not advocating that we we get rid of taxes, right? And there's some are uh, there are some Bitcoiners who would advocate for that, right? And and again, I think it's just a marketplace of ideas, right? Let's throw all these ideas out there. I'm not saying you shouldn't say things like that. Do it. I'm a, I'm on the left. I'm a huge proponent of free speech and ideas. Like, go for it. Um, let people live their lives, but but go for it with these ideas. But there are smart ways of doing taxation. And I think there is a lot of state level funding that's very different than federal funding. A lot of states are in unique positions where States have to balance their budgets a little bit more than the federal government, right? There isn't a ton of deficit spending from states, except for sometimes emergency years, like 2008 to 2010, right? But in Massachusetts, we had a, 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 um, a tax surplus last year in which money was actually sent back to the citizens because of a law from the 80s that was triggered that says if it's in excess of this percentage, you have to get a certain percentage back. So I got a check for some of my income tax. Now that's probably a sign that income tax might be a little too high in certain places, right? But, you know, we're not printing money in Massachusetts. We don't own the money printer. They're not printing money in Texas. They don't own the money printer. Now there's different deals with federal government that might be bailing out states based on their, their actions and behavior. So some of the programs that I work with, like workforce development programming, that's targeted money focused on helping young people access college or access meaningful work that can affect their lives. And that's millions of dollars, right? We're not talking billions and billions and billions of dollars that's eating things away. So I think there is, you know, uh, we Bitcoiners like to say, you know, we need to get rid of the whole system and in large part, sometimes yes, but there also is smart ways to do that taxation, smart ways to actually pay for things and help people's lives. But clearly 
there's a lot of bloating in these services. I personally, from the left, would say there's a lot of bloating in our military and defense spending, right? These huge things, right? So if we are going to spend money, we have to start thinking about what that's going to be for. And last thing I'll say on this too is you're, you're exactly right, like broken promises of politicians, right? What happened with Biden recently is a perfect example of campaigning on student debt relief, right? I'm going to cancel student debt. You know, they started off, I'm going to cancel 10 grand or, oh, no, we, we've got the power. We can cancel all of it, you know, a trillion odd uh, of student debt, right? Saying that, saying that, saying that so that young people would vote for him in the campaign. Then it comes out, oh, I can't really do that. The court struck it down. They always knew the court would strike it down, but it was a campaign promise not delivered. You still have some people, though, because they're in the party that say, oh, well, the court shouldn't have done that. We're going to keep fighting. And that's that's all it is. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting. Elizabeth Warren's one of the biggest cheerleaders of that. Right. Um, you know, her public record hasn't done too much, but she'll say we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting. Right. So while these people, I might agree with some of their desires, let, let's say they have good and honest desires. Um, but these campaign promises, they know, or people that work on their team know that can't get, that can't happen. That can't happen in this legislature. That can't happen with this court. That can't happen under executive order. Uh, and there's no incentive to be honest because there's no term limits. There's a four-year cycle. That's a system. It's very separate from Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't fix that. But that's a system I think we need to we need to take a look at is term limits. We need to take a look at like. Uh, a lot of these things so that people aren't just doing fake uh, and false campaign promises that we're seeing today with a lot of candidates as well. Yeah, there's a lot of virtual signaling that happens, a lot of pandering to to the people that apparently are part of their base. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've got to be held accountable. And I like that you brought up the political cycle because, of course, it sort of ties in perfectly with the Bitcoin have, having cycle, right, every four years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it'll be interesting to see at some point if Bitcoin does in fact become global money, if if the halving cycle, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase this, um, if it almost forces governments to adjust their policies on term limits. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I doubt it, but it's just perhaps something to kind of keep an eye on. Do you yeah. notice an, an increased number in uh, progressives, sorry, in, in Bitcoin from progressives, like people that are more left-leaning like yourself? Um, I think I've noticed um, those from the left being a bit more vocal in the, the Bitcoin community, I'd say the past year, two years, right? And there's all sorts of cycles. Um, let's see how many times, to, for those listening, take a shot every time you hear the word cycle. But there's all sorts of different cycles, right? There's the cypherpunk cycle that began in the first place. That wasn't really a cycle, it's just who was involved with it, which arguably could have been a bit more libertarian leaning. Um, and then there's the different cycle that happened during COVID and kind of this, a bit of right-wing wave and Bitcoin maximalism as we think about it, right? So I, I would say the past couple of years has definitely been more progressives that are becoming more, more vocal and doing more work, more research um, in this space, right? Um, that's for sure. But I'll also add, there's been so many progressives um, in the background just observing, listening, watching, kind of like I was initially. Um, they're buying, they're stacking, you know, uh, in terms of it's tough to really focus on Bitcoin because there's some data on who is your average crypto investor. So it, it's Bitcoin and everything else. And that's pretty diverse politically, gender wise, all of these things. Right. So, you know, people of all political persuasions are stacking. 
in the US um, globally, right? This is a, a pretty US, a bit Western, but specifically US phenomenon. But I'd say more progressives are are speaking out more. And I think it's a bit of a yin and yang, right? I, I think there was a lot of toxic Bitcoin maxi, as some people would term it, coming up in the community, talking about things that didn't necessarily relate to Bitcoin. A lot of it was out of, out of COVID, out of lockdowns, talking about vaccines, talking about a lot of different things. And I think more and more people were like, even some people from within that camp were like, hey, like this doesn't have to do with Bitcoin. Like, hey, that's fine. Talk about that. That's that's cool. That's your thing or that's your belief. But let's not say if you're a Bitcoiner, you're you can't possibly be a progressive, or you're a if you're a Bitcoiner, this is the diet you need to have, or or something like that. Yeah. Right. So I think it just got to a point where more and more people were like, This isn't helping. This is hurting the cause. Um, I do think people should just ignore it. Like, look at Bitcoin, the protocol, look at those building, look at what it's doing for humanity. Don't look at the person you don't like who talks about it, right? That doesn't, that doesn't affect how much Bitcoin you can buy and hold. That doesn't affect the positive impacts Bitcoin has, but it can distract people, right? If, if someone's like, wow, I hate Ted Cruz with a burning passion. And people are saying that's that's the Bitcoin guy or that's the Bitcoin candidate or whatever. And now we have several, um, right? That could distract people, right? And I, I do think people should keep their head down and look at Bitcoin. But listen, let's let's try to um, avoid some of these distractions the best we can, and and talk about that and, and separate that and say you know what Bitcoin is and also say what it what it isn't. So yeah, I mean, long story short, I, I do think there are more and more speaking up and. Hey, listen, I, I hope that we see continue to see a diversity of voices in, in Bitcoin all over, right? LGBTQ community, like I've talked a lot about this. You were talking about Canadian uh, trucker protests. I try to use this analogy on the other side, right? Because that was seen as a right-wing protest, even though I personally would say, hey, it's a protest. These people were being, were being lawful. Like, no, they shouldn't have had their bank accounts frozen. No, these other things were a complete overreach of of everything that's that's good and constitutional and, and liberty promoting, right? But let's say a candidate that you didn't like was in office and they decided to freeze your bank account because you supported Planned Parenthood in the United States and they consider that a terrorist organization, right? You know, what what if that, do you, it should, do you think your bank account should be shut down, right? Bitcoin is the answer there, right? So pick your cause, apply Bitcoin to it and say, what if? And I, I try to encourage people on the left to do that as well because a lot of the protests, a lot of the freedom promoting things have been talked about from a right leaning perspective and people get distracted by that. And it's like, no, take the principle of it. It can be anything. It could be Black Lives Matter. It could be like a trans movement protest. It can be anything. Um, it, it can be shut down and that's not good. Let's build systems that are permissionless. Let's build systems that are decentralized that, that don't have the opportunity to be shut down. Um, not that the Canadian trucker protest was necessarily shut down in some ways funding was, right? That, that um, protest did a lot of powerful things, but bank accounts were shut down, right? Um, but let's try to avoid that <laughs> with whatever movement we're, we're doing. Well, it's, it's that part of the movement that was especially disturbing to me. Like everybody comes at the protest from you know their own perspective. People that lived in Ottawa, you know, experienced things where, you know, they had their lives disrupted. So I don't really have that much of an opinion on the protest itself, but mm -hmm. the act of freezing those bank accounts is something that I'm not okay with. And, you know, over the past, let's say two or three years, I've become quite apathetic to politics. Um, and it's not that I encourage it on people. It's that's just my experience. It's just apathy. 
And, uh, you know, part of that stems from, from what happened during that time. And, and it's not just that it's, it's these little lies that come out, you know, there was during that time, there was a, an exchange. I remember from, I believe it was the provincial government of Ontario. And then, uh, people within Nunchuck wallet, the organization, I don't know if you saw Mm -hmm. that there was like an email that went kind of back and forth and I might've been the time, but yeah, yeah. In, in the news, they made it sound like it was no problem trying to essentially take people's crypto from them. And Nunchuck responded by saying, like, you don't really understand this technology. Like, that, oh, that's yes, not yes, I do. I do remember this email. Yeah, now that you mention it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was actually a pretty funny one. Uh, I almost want to maybe leave that in the show notes for people to see. Yeah, brilliant um, response from them. Yeah. It really was. But, like, the point is, though, you get these messages from politicians um, that aren't necessarily true, and yet we're made to believe that they are. And and it's things like that 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 make me weary of the government and have kind of led to this apathy, which I'm hoping I can kind of dig myself out of, to be honest, because um, it does make life a little bit darker. Um, but that's where, and I had this discussion with Tomer Strolight, like Bitcoin is this sort of symbol of hope and freedom. So I use that to kind of like brighten my day and keep myself going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many people that have influenced me to, to also think, you know, we had, we had a, a Twitter spaces that I unfortunately, and apologies again to everyone, did not record this and we'll be recording them going forward. We do Twitter spaces every Thursday now uh, for the podcast, in addition to releasing episodes. And uh, Ben DeWall, who talks a lot about socialism, anarchism, and things from the left and Bitcoin, you know, talked about, it, it's about building these parallel systems, right? Like we're not trying to topple the current systems, right? We're not at the storm gates uh, with, you know, um, with flames and cannons and here it's, it's a peaceful revolution. What we're doing is building better systems and sending but mocking emails, right? Or, or saying, hey, we're, we're winning. Like, like Bitcoin is, is better, just, just practically, you get to own it, right? It's faster, it's cheaper, all of these things, right? Um, but also look at the human rights promoting elements, look at all of these other things. So it's about, you know, resist, persist, protest, all of these things, right? Um, for, for what you believe in and value, but also we're, we're building here. People are slowly pivoting and learning. They're slowly pivoting and learning to, to more open source protocols, more protocols that are less reliant on egomaniacs like Elon Musk with Twitter or government officials that every four years you say, yay, my guy's in, but nothing changes. And then, you know, your person is not in the next time. So now you're upset. Um, you know, it, it's, it's about building these better systems. And then I think regardless in the end, it's, it's going to win. You know, we can help it along a lot. I'm not saying that politics doesn't matter, uh, like kind of like what you're alluding to, but I've, I've grown a bit apathetic as well. I think in, and a lot of folks on the left have as well, for those that think that progressives and on the left are just government cheerleaders and, you know, whatever it's because Democrats have been in power for, for a while outside of Trump's 40 years. So I get that. But no, a lot of us on the left, like, think about Occupy, think about original anarchist movements, left libertarian movements. So like the left has long been in a struggle and fight against centralized authority and government um, and originated from that perspective in a lot of ways. So yeah, no, we're, we're definitely not um, government cheerleaders here, and especially if we're in Bitcoin, we're, we're definitely not. So I think it's okay to be a bit apathetic. And I think you're being honest because quite frankly, things haven't, haven't changed. And one thing I'll say on the trucker protest as well, you're exactly right. It's it's these infringements on basic rights because we can say, oh, crypto is just this new thing. Crypto is just for rich people or whatever. 
But think about the principle of that, right? If if crypto or if, if Bitcoin is is property and consider property in a lot of provinces or outright legal tender or not taxed the same way, but in a lot of Western countries, it's at least considered like property that you can own. Governments come in and say, oh, we can just take that because that's, you know, that, that's like the new thing. That's like Bitcoin. They'll be fine without it, right? Them deciding that for you. Use that in other, any other example of your life. Would you react the same way? No, you'd be like, what the hell? So the principle of this is very concerning. And, you know, I got to give him props. Like Matt O'Dell talks about this a lot. It's, it's a little bit inch by inch, right? And then you look back and you say, how did we get here? So there mm -hmm. is a bit of, of a slippery slope. And I, I, I can't emphasize enough for any of those on the left that happen to stumble into this and, you know, think I'm talking like a, you know, a nutcase or whatever. Um, you know, it can apply to any context, any political movement, anything, right? It might just have been applicable to what you view as right-wing stuff. It's mm -hmm. the principle here. And it is, it is no joke, right? Do, do I know what level of horror it will reach in our lifetime? No, right? We could continue to live our life, living in relative comfort for our entire lifetime, whether, whether Bitcoin is the, the standard or not, right? We just don't know. But it is a slippery slope of, of freedoms being taken in everyday life, in some places really, really drastically, but even here in the West in ways that are very unconstitutional uh, against rules and laws of, of the land. And I think regardless of what political party or political persuasion you're in, that, that's a bit undeniable for me. You know, like personally, I, I often sort of have to hesitate before I speak. I, I worry I'm gonna say the wrong thing. We live in an age of, as you know, cancel culture. And I worry that I'm going to do or say the wrong thing and somebody's going to label me a right-wing, you know, white supremacist or something like that. These terms get thrown around way too often. Um, and that, unfortunately, that's the age we're living in. And it's this sort of like toxic way of, of dealing with people rather than having like an actual discourse. That's what's making, I, I think, actual like effective political change difficult to, to actually uh, move forwards. If, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. Um, it's like we, we can't have rational conversations with each other anymore. And that's why like the people that I'm close with, you know, I actually thank them from time to time and say like, you know, it's amazing that you and I can actually have this discussion. We can, we can disagree on whatever the issue is, but at the end of the day, we know that we're all like normal human beings. Uh, we're not a bunch of, you know, black jobs. And um, mm -hmm. you know, just cause I say something that might be like, off the cuff and, and maybe maybe it doesn't sound right at the time, it doesn't mean I'm a racist. It doesn't mean I'm sexist. Like people that know me well know that my intentions are good. And if I've said something stupid, you know, that was just me being stupid at the time. So yeah. And it's also okay to say, hey, that wasn't okay. That came off this way. Like, did you mean it Absolutely. that way? Right. It's okay. It's okay to confront people. Um, and that's the biggest thing too. Like I, I feel the same way, right? Like I feel like in different moments I can be canceled by the left and different moments I can be chastised and canceled by the right or, or whatever. Right. Um, but the biggest thing is like, yeah, I'm going to say things that are, I try not to say things that are like regretful, right. But say things that maybe need more context or maybe there's another layer to it because none of us are perfect. Right. And we are in this digital age where some of those prints will last for a long time. Right. Or those, yep. those stamps on, you know, podcast episode you know three you've said this and things like that um that's the age we're in right but i'm i'm trying to live my life where every day i'm trying to learn something new i'm trying to stress my stretch myself mentally by what i'm reading by what i'm taking in by listening to different perspectives 
right? Um, and trying to grow every day as well and, and take it take it humbly uh, and trying to be as, as humble as possible. And every day I'm going to learn something. Every podcast I try to listen to of myself, right? Trying to say, oh, let me, let me grow from that. Let me, let me learn from that. Um, let me learn from what that person said and, and go from there and just extend each other grace. But I will say this, what I view as a sickness that you're describing, right? And I'm not talking about politics necessarily, right? Because there are some things that certain communities are experiencing for me personally in the US or abroad, whereas people are like, oh, they're just being sensitive. It's like, no, and rights are being infringed on, in my opinion, of the trans community in, in this space or of the gay community in this space or of this community. I have certain political beliefs that we can agree to disagree on or talk about. That's all fine. You know, I'm talking about this, this sickness of people are more depressed, people are using drugs more, people are, um, you know, alcoholics in secret, right? People are relying on coping with that. Uh, people are coping with everyday life in bad ways um, and feeling isolated, like COVID definitely amplified that, right? Feeling isolated and disconnected from people. Only, you know, unfortunately, right? Like you and I aren't sitting in person doing this conversation and remote interviews are great. We connect with each other super easy. I don't have to figure out flight details to come see you or family obligations, this and that. So it's it's a net benefit, but but we're we're seeing each other through through screens more and, and things like this. So I think everyone needs to take time every day to think about to start with the individual, try to take care of yourself, try to take care of your body, your mind, and present the best foot that you can and be kind to each other. If everyone does that in the world, we'd see things quite differently, right? There's a lot of structural things, but we're not even starting there. Um, and that's really concerning to me as well. I, I hope this episode isn't too much of like a, ah, this is really concerning. This is really concerning. Um, no, but that, it's that's important okay. to identify the problems. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, I agree with you. It's, for me, I think this is where, it just again, like Bitcoin helps sort of shape my mind, gives me kind of a frame uh, for thinking about my life. Like for the longest time, I've been out of shape. Like I have, you know, some of my teaching has been virtual. So, I, you know, I just like I'm doing now, I've been sitting at a desk and you do that hours on end, uh, especially like myself where you're a dad, you just don't get a whole lot of time to, to move around, to exercise. And, you know, what Bitcoin does is it teaches you about time preference and it teaches you proof of work. And so, you know, I, I keep reminding myself that if I want to be healthy, I've got to put the work in to do it. So I'm making a conscious effort and I have to remind myself to do it, but to eat better, to avoid certain foods, I finally started exercising and, and I feel better. And I know that like long-term that's beneficial for me, but it also means that I've got more time with my kids. Cause I, you know, mm -hmm. unless something happens to me, I'm going to live a longer life. So it's just kind of taking some of these, I guess you can call them features that are associated with Bitcoin, applying them to your own daily life. It's amazing how transformative that whole process can be. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah, good, good for you. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to switch the direction of this conversation a little bit here. Um, I think a lot of people are interested in knowing, like, what's going on with Bitcoin? More specifically, like, what stage are we in? Um, historians, economists, they talk about money kind of evolving over time. So you start with the store of value stage, then you move on to uh, the medium of exchange, and then finally it becomes a unit of account. So I don't think we're at the unit of account stage yet. I, I, I mean, maybe in El Salvador, perhaps. But where do you think we're at right now? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, one, one thing I'll preface it by saying, uh, I don't know if anything has ever moved as fast. Maybe the internet a little bit. 
as Bitcoin, right? Like at social cultural level, at industry level, at money level, layer twos, layer threes, all of these different use cases for Bitcoin, all of this. So it is moving so, so incredibly fast knowing how early we still are um, and knowing that it's, you know, 14 years old, right? Uh, so that's, that's a first. I don't think we have any, um, yes, we should look to history. Yes, we should look to what good money is and all of these different things. But we also at the same time don't really have a precedent for, for any of this, right? It's conflicting with all of these political things, different, different industries, um, different psychological, philosophical things. It's, it's a lot of things. So I guess in that categorization, it's, it's a bit of a store of value, right? I think that's one of the easiest things we can point, point back to is like, look at its history, look at where it is now, you know, it depends on what, uh, you know, appealing to people where they're at as well. Some people will be really um, into what, you know, Michael Saylor says, look, look at the S&P 500, look at where Bitcoin is. Oh, Michael Saylor, he, you know, he, he, uh, the, the dot-com bust, but, oh, he was talking about Apple in 2012 and this and that, you know, he's, he's pretty accurate with some of these things. He scooped up a lot of Bitcoin. Um, hey, that's not my, my cup of tea in terms of my orange pill to my community, but for some people that works. So I think the store value argument is, is pretty strong uh just from a perspective of like wow can you believe this still this thing is still kicking um i've heard many people say like man we're surprised the u.s government didn't squash this like in like 2010 or <laughs> like yeah. when it when it could have you know what i mean and um whether it's people not taking it seriously enough the government stacking it in secret whatever whatever the case may be uh so i think we're you know at the store value level what i don't know is how rapid things will progress, right? You know, some aggressive timelines are like, oh yeah, it's gonna be medium of exchange. And like, it, we're gonna we're gonna kind of be on like global reserve currency in five, 10 years, right? I, I don't think that's the case necessarily, but you know, a lot of communities, I think it's community specific as well. You know, you got different townships in Sub-Saharan Africa where that is the medium or the, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer network medium of exchange. Like that is their best way to, to move money around provinces and to move across borders, right? The US, we have PayPal, Venmo, uh, things like this, Cash App with, you know, USD withdrawals, but it's slowly infiltrating um, culture. It's slowly infiltrating as we've seen for better, for worse. We'll see how this plays out with all of the banks and ETFs and you guys in Canada have had spot to ETFs and other, other things, but in terms of having these instruments in the US, again, would change things quite a bit. Um, personally, I'm not crazy about it, but you know, a bit, again, a bit of a, a different story and tangent. So yeah, I'd say store of value. I, I'd say I personally, um, I'll kind of add this context as well. So the, the progressive Bitcoin or the podcast I run, you know, it is, it is a business in Massachusetts. Um, I set it up as an LLC and I'm, it's operating on a Bitcoin standard. So that's my little piece of like, I'm being very intentional about as much as possible, whether we're in conversations with sponsors, whether we're taking uh, sats for merch in the future and, and things like that. Um, I want it to be as much on Bitcoin as possible. However annoying that's going to be for me uh, with taxes and things like that. You know, it's not, it's not this, you know, grand business where, you know, we're, we're making a ton of money from it or anything like that, but being very intentional about like, I want to do my part to try to bring about and have as much of a Bitcoin standard in my life as possible. In the U S that's tough, right? I think we get out legislation that supports it a bit easier. I'd like to see Bitcoin have, you know, no taxable events under like $200. Some very smart legislative items that could be passed. Um, you know, the day we're recording this yesterday or two days ago, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. talking about removing capital gains tax from Bitcoin altogether. 
and having Bitcoin-backed dollars. Um, again, personal opinion as I think it's just campaign talk. But would I be an advocate of that? Hell yeah, I would. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know what, man, I don't, I don't really know how to answer your question. I, other than like store value, we're seeing people gain and access and hold wealth uh, from Bitcoin. Beyond that, I have no idea what's to come. Um, it's it's exciting, but it's also it's also terrifying at the same time <laughs> for multiple reasons. Yeah, I've heard many people say like you don't want to transition to be too fast because that could just wreck people. And and I agree with that. Um, I definitely think we've hit that store value phase. Um, there's a reason why people call it digital gold. Um, yeah. I think for me to answer that, I would say it, it would kind of vary jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Like you, you mentioned mm -hmm. Africa. I mean, there are countries there where people pay each other in cell phone minutes. And so yeah. if that can be used as a currency, there's no question that people are exchanging not only Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies as well. So I think yeah. it really just depends on city to city, country to country. Um, you know, years ago, I took a trip to Switzerland and uh, there is a town there. I think it's Lugano, if I remember correctly. They, they've mm -hmm. kind of made that the European Bitcoin capital. So I, I'd be interested in going back just to see, because from everything I read, it sounds like there are a lot of businesses there that are accepting it as cash. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, we're living in an exciting time. And to think that we're, we're actually experiencing this firsthand, this sort of like digital money transformation, like it's it's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I kind of nerd out on it a bit. You know, as, you know, I know we're talking a lot of about a lot of scary things with government overreach and things like that. But also to think, wow, we're living in an era like think about hundreds of years of currency development, right? A lot of that has been truncated into like fourteen, let's say even twenty years, right? Let, let's just think about how short of a time frame this is, and the amount of things we've already seen come out of Bitcoin, even in the face of extreme and growing opposition. And almost to the point where it is a bit too big to fail, they can make it really difficult to use. Um, but it's it's really exciting and really, really cool. And that is one of the things I'm most hopeful in is, is Bitcoin, <laughs> really. You know, we didn't have answers to a lot of these problems before Bitcoin. So that's one thing to be really excited and hopeful about is we no longer have to say, uh, let's vote for this guy because I guess he's our best chance or maybe and then nothing changes or let's hope this doesn't get that bad or wow even climate change ah let's just let's do another protest that'll that'll fix it that that'll be sure to fix it let's let's fly out bill gates on his private plane to this conference you know that's really going to help things right we have some answers or some some solutions that we can start with on some of these problems in the world and a lot of that is starting with bitcoin and then you go down the rabbit hole to other things like Noster as you know, open communications and, and censorship resistant decentralized communications and build that out, et cetera, et cetera. Like apps like Signal and others, like privacy communications. It's, you know, Bitcoin opens up and these things were happening before and in, in tandem with Bitcoin, but it's more than just Bitcoin. It's about what are the problems Bitcoin identifies and that, that worldview, um, it creates all these other solutions and people are building like crazy, like, crazy. It's, it's really cool to see people with a lot more skills than me. And I, I just want to try to amplify their message um, of, yeah. of these freedom tech tools that, that are being built. It's, it's really awesome. Yeah. There's so much going on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. I'm just sort of scratching at the surface. I'm trying to get some developers on my show to, to sort of get into some of the nitty gritty technical stuff, but yeah, I, I agree with you, man. Um, final question for you. And this is one that I, I haven't really covered in any way on the show. 
um, for people looking to get into Bitcoin or, or maybe they're already investing, um, what's your sort of approach? Do you dollar cost average? Do you buy whenever you see like a big dip? Like just out of curiosity. Yeah. And, and again, not, not financial advice, right? Let me, let me say that. Um, I want to do more of this on my show as well, to be honest, because I don't want to take for granted, you know, I haven't been around as long as some of the OGs in Bitcoin, but I think I kind of get sucked in a bit to remembering to take a step back and talk about some of these super practical things. Um, the great news is it's easier than ever to get into Bitcoin and to, to self-custody and hold your Bitcoin, right? And what I mean by that is if you go and buy Bitcoin on Venmo, Cash App, Coinbase, whatever, and you, you keep it on there as if you have a Bank of American account and you have what you think are dollars in that, in that bank account, um, it's not really yours, right? And also there's not good regulation to promise that, that will be there if the company goes under, unlike an actual bank account where you're FDIC insured and things like that. But that's also another annoying thing you don't want to have to deal with. Um, so one thing you want to do is if you're able to buy Bitcoin, which is super easy to do now, you want to learn how to self-custody it, right? And, and that's you owning your Bitcoin by owning access to the private keys. And there are so many great apps to do. So I do a mix of a variety of things. You know, one, one company that I'm a big supporter of an investor in and a customer in is, is SAS Mining and their renewable energy Bitcoin mining company. So you can buy a miner with them. You enter in a wallet address of your choice and money, and money Bitcoin gets sent to that address, you know, every you know, every couple of weeks from your, your mining pool payout. And that's, they've made that process so easy that you have to have no technical ability. You actually own the miner, you own the address, the wallet that it's sent to and your own private key. So you own full process, um, you know, that, that process, right? But let's say you buy Bitcoin from Coinbase. Um, I will say, this is something I did very early on in my, my Bitcoin journey. I can't remember where I first bought Bitcoin from. It might've been Coinbase though. So they like Coinbase or Cash App. And early on, I learned about this app uh, called Moon Wallet. And then I had an iPhone uh, and it was an app I had read some things about. And they make it really easy. And you're able to self-custody your own keys by having your, your backup seed, which is 12 words, right? So I downloaded this app. I withdrew that Bitcoin and sent it to that wallet by copy and pasting that address. Um, and I was self-custodying Bitcoin pretty early on in my, in my Bitcoin journey. And I wrote down the 12 words. I was really meticulous with it because I was a bit anxious at first, but excited. And it, it, I remember that feeling. So it's like, wow, like this, this, and made copies of it. And there's all sorts of different ways to protect your, your seed phrase words. Right. Um, and I was really excited. I was like, wow, I actually like own this. This is, this is mine. Um, it, it wasn't like, oh, this is not sitting in Bank of America. This is not sitting in Coinbase. Right. And from there, I would encourage people then to look into cold storage, which means you have a hardware wallet device and there's multiple out there um, that, that you can utilize, that you're withdrawing those funds. And that's like a savings account, right? So your checking account could be a, a Bitcoin wallet um, on your phone, whatever phone you use on your desktop, things like that. And a, a, you know, a cold storage wallet is like that savings account that you have that you store uh, larger amounts. There's multi-sig options as well that I would also highly encourage as the third stage um, for folks. I highly recommend, you know, there's Unchained Capital. Um, Casa is a really great company as well. It's very user-friendly. And that means you have two of three multi-sig is pretty common. So you don't have one fail point, right? As long as you have two of three wallets available, you can access those funds. So if you lose one wallet or it goes up in a house fire or something like that, you have two other access points to access your funds, right? So any of these things that I'm mentioning, 
cold storage, moon wallet, all of these things, just Google it, like research it, right? Don't try to remember as I'm saying it now, that's what, that's what I did, right? I would hear, even if you hear really complex things in Bitcoin, educate yourself, like look into it. Like it's okay if you have some Bitcoin and Coinbase, right? Like I'm not gonna say like, hey, it, Coinbase could go under tomorrow. I don't know. So I don't wanna say like, oh, your funds are completely safe because they're there and you have to trust that that business is in good accordance with their with their sheets and with the government and things like that. And quite frankly, the industry isn't that well supported by the US government or by whatever government um, that's in place. So you shouldn't necessarily trust and rely on that. But also, I don't want you to do things that feel unsafe or feel risky or feel like, uh, I don't know about this. So the good news is there's there's more solutions than ever and more by the day of how to hold and store your own Bitcoin. But that's that's one step I would look into really early on is, listen, there's, there's KYC, there's no KYC, and KYC is know your customer, right? So that's a way for these different parties to know and identify who's buying Bitcoin from the exchange, right? There's different ways to, to get Bitcoin. Excuse me, but you know, I would say even even before that, um, really just get comfortable with the tools. Really look into it. It's not as hard and scary as you might think, even if you have no technical ability. And there's more resources than ever um, to look into it. So take your time, <laughs> like Google it. Uh, look into those resources. If you see someone on Twitter that seems to be a prominent Bitcoiner, or like uh, someone that you've you've seen listening to some of their podcasts or seen like that reach out to them, direct message them, send them an email. If they say they have an email or uh, info, um, you'd be surprised, right? Um, Jameson Locke, who I had on my podcast recently, great resource for privacy, self-custody, all of it. He's a massive website with so many resources. Uh, Matt O'Dell is another guy I mentioned. Great resources on his website as well. Look into some of those folks. Um, reach out to me. You know, I'm not the most technical person, but happy to you, you reach out and give some very practical normal person you know i have a sociology background and i got a little bit techie in this space recently but um i can reach out and also i can tell you hey i'm not sure about that why don't you reach out to so-and-so i can try to connect you to other people so um not to to go on too much but i'm just really excited because there's so many cool tools out there that make it easier than ever for people to self-custody when it wasn't as easy as it is now five years ago um and that's just getting better and better every day yeah i agree i i know like when Bitcoin first came out, uh, self-custodying was way harder. So many of these tools and technologies just didn't exist. And that's another sort of exciting thing that's happening behind the scenes is all these products that are being made, these tools that are being engineered to, to make it easier for people out there that, you know, they hear the word custody or self-custody and, and it's like terrifying for them. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I agree with everything you said. For me, when I think of like a, a hot wallet, so think of a wallet on your phone. To me, it's like just carrying cash around on you. You know, if you have like five or $10, you lose it. Okay, for most people, not a big deal. Whereas yeah. when you have a, a, a you know cold storage device, like a cold card or a nano, whatever it is, that to me is like you said, kind of like your savings account. So mm -hmm. um, a little different in that here, you're actually self-custodying it. Whereas with a savings account, it's under the custody of the banking institution, but you know that you've got, uh, you know, something that is more protective of your funds. So that's where you keep your, your larger amounts. And yeah, if you want to go down the uh, path of multi-sig, which, uh, you know, if you hold a fair bit of Bitcoin, you definitely want to do, um, you know, start, start learning now, start practicing. Um, like you said, watch videos. Another name I would suggest is BTC sessions. Uh, he's got mm -hmm. just a slew of Great. tutorials. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, uh, for your Canadian our... listeners, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. For the listeners and viewers out there, where can they find you? 
Yeah, so I'm on, uh, so any anything with the progressive Bitcoiner, right? So I've actually been intentional. Um, so I have a Twitter account, but I've made it, I've made it private and been very, very active and involved on Noster. So you can find me on Noster. Um, Trey, well, I'm, I'm, I'm redoing the, the identifier, but uh, Trey Walsh on Noster, uh, Trey, a progressive Bitcoiner um, on, on Noster. And we have a Twitter account for the progressive Bitcoiner as well. Um, and a lot of other social media handles for that. So if you go to the progressive Bitcoiner on Twitter, it's TPB pod. You can find our link tree and see all of the links there. And we also have a, a Noster account for uh, the podcast, the progressive Bitcoiner. So you can, you can find me there. Uh, find me on Noster. Um, all of that information is going to um, you know, be from the podcast as well. And if you want to look into the podcast, that'll be awesome. Progressive Bitcoiner. Um, we have episodes drop every Tuesday. You can go to our website, uh, theprogressivebitcoiner.com uh, to find us there as well. Awesome. Any like last words, final thoughts you want to leave us with? Oh man, I think I'm still just jazzed up because of everything that's been happening in the in news even the past couple of days um, with Bitcoin. So it's it's exhausting. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, if people are just beginning their Bitcoin journey, um, it's never too late. Never too late to jump in. Um, and if anyone ever wants to connect and reach out, uh, happy to and here to help as much as I can. Just like people helped when I was first getting in the space to to understand things. Um, so no, that's that's really it. I'm really excited um, for the next six months, next year, year and a half should be, should be pretty fun uh, in this space to say the least. Yeah. The next, next year or two are going to be pretty exciting for sure. All right, man, this has been great. Thank you so much, Trey. Yeah, we'll absolutely. You on again. thank you. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much.